okay? Um, if you served in one of the military branches, would you just stand? I want to pray. Um, but I'd also like you to just maybe just reach your hand out towards you. If you're sitting by that person, maybe put your hand on their shoulder. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now that you would just um, help us to honor those who have served, those who have fallen. Lord, uh, I don't think there's been a Sunday that I've ever walked up here and not realized what a great privilege it is to stand on the stage and proclaim the name of Jesus and not worry about prison or death. Or when we have friends who are serving in places where uh, just to tell somebody about Jesus is uh, uh, at the risk of their life, and we just don't get that. That freedom is ours because of the people who have gone before fought for it, so we just stopped to say thank you for that. Thank you for the men who have served and the women and given their lives for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. I think from now on, I'm going to have Ron play the organ while I'm teaching, because that was pretty cool. I get that little riff thing going back there, like when, yeah, probably not. Um, hey, parents, uh, if you read ahead and you know what we're teaching on Ephesians, uh, there's uh, a whole section on there on immorality. That's what I'm teaching today. Uh, so I would say today is PG-13. It's not real explicit, but if you um, want to take advantage of our children's services and not have to have a conversation later, um, fair warning. So it's just I'm teaching the text, and that's what's in there, and we're going to be uh, faithful to that. Hey, it's great to be at Grace. It's great to be in a place where God is moving. Um, yesterday was uh, a lot of fun for me. I had a chance to come here for a little while and work on my sermon, but then I went out to Baldwick Park and just kind of wandered around and watched uh, football ending and soccer ending and really hundreds and hundreds of kids and their families and all their colors uh, hanging out there and people eating hot dogs, and it just was a reminder of the good work that God is doing there. Then I came back here, and there was a picnic going on in the lawn for my father's business, which is our food pantry, and I got to talk to some of the clients, and uh, some even some of the past clients came back just for the picnic, and it was uh, just a powerful thing. But God is doing a lot in our midst, and uh, sometimes I just think he's just giving me the best seat in the house uh, to watch what God is doing. It's really a good thing. Yeah, you can clap for that. So grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. By now, your Bible should be falling open to uh, Ephesians. We've been in it for a while. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using a reader, uh, we encourage that. That's fine. I want to just encourage you to take notes. It'll help you to retain uh, things that, that jump out to you. So write them down. It'll, it'll help you out a lot. Uh, there's usually room in the bulletin for that. Um, and while you're looking, I just want to give you just a couple announcements. Just so you know, next Sunday, 5 o'clock is the listening room. Uh, and we're going to talk about restorative prayer. And here's what I would say. If you live in the world, which if you're in here, chances are you live in the world, uh, you have stuff. You've gone through stuff. You've had stuff happen to you. You've done stuff. And some of that stuff sticks. You know what I mean? Some of that stuff kind of gets in us. And um, we have a, a, a place, a way of just kind of going to the Father and, and walking through some of that stuff and letting go of some of that stuff. We call it restorative prayer. And we're going to walk through that um, 5 o'clock next Sunday. So love for you to come and be a part of the listening room and, uh, and take that in and, and uh, maybe develop some skills of how to just let go of some of the things that ensnare and tangle. Um, Tuesdays at Grace, you can come anytime Tuesdays, uh, 7 o'clock. We continue to unpack the passages and, and walk through, go a little bit deeper in the, the passages that we're teaching. We do that in a small group setting. So 7 o'clock on Tuesdays is great. And then um, the one thing I do want you to note is that starting June 7th, so the first Sunday in June, 
Um, we're changing the service times to not from nine, staying at nine, but instead eleven ten, we're going to eleven. So nine and eleven. So if you're typically a second service person, which I assume most of you aren't because you're here at the first service, but we're going to go from eleven ten to eleven. And I would like to just take this opportunity as your pastor to ask you to please try to be here on time. Um, there's a lot that happens when the service start. The music is a part of the whole service, and to be honest with you, um, it's pretty distracting to be coming in uh, as late as, as many of us come. So I'm just going to ask you uh, to please make a commitment to be here on time and to enjoy the whole service. Our services are relatively short, and uh, we would love for you to be here when the services start. How come nobody's clapping for that? You guys clap for everything else. Yeah, sure. All right, Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. Paul writes, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immortal, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. Verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds and darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, Be very careful then. How you live. Not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, this walk through Ephesians. I thank you for what you've done. And even now, as I just prepare to unpack this, I just pray that you would guide my words. Lord, even as we've studied Ephesians, we've seen that you are the one that reveals truth. You are the one that gives us wisdom. All revelation comes from you. So I just pray that you would use what I've read and what I teach to bring revelation into the hearts of the people here. Uh, and as we pray every Sunday, I pray that we would leave different than we came. We wouldn't check a box that we went to church but that we would have interacted with the living God and something different would be in us and, and working through us so that we would actually be better husbands and better fathers and better wives and better mothers and better friends and better co-workers. Lord, may we leave different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 5 starts with this uh, imperative. It says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So we often say, well, what's the one thing we want you to take away from the sermon? So when we're even um, talking through a sermon, we say, well, what do we want them to know and what do we want them to do? What's the, what's the one thing? And I would say, this is it. 
This is the one thing that you need to take away from today. Be imitators of God. As a matter of fact, if you just held on to that one phrase and you kind of meditated on that one phrase throughout the week, throughout the weeks to come, throughout the months to come and said, I want to be an imitator of God. Be an imitator of God. It would have a tremendous impact in your home, a tremendous impact at work, a tremendous impact at church. That one phrase could be pretty transformational. And just to remind you, Paul has used the first three chapters of Ephesians to tell you who God is, right? So we studied those three chapters, and it was just this rich language of theology and who God is and all God has done and all the work that God is, is doing in us and through us. So, so one thing you could do, a little homework assignment. I know I'm only about a minute and a half into the sermon, but I'm already giving you homework. Um, go home and read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and think about being imitators of God, and maybe even just write down the things you see about God that need to be a part of your character. It's just a way to read those three chapters differently. Be imitators of God. Pretty important. So every Sunday, almost every Sunday, we talk about, in one fashion or the other, our mission statement here at Grace. What is our mission statement? We are Yeah, we are a mosaic, striving to live like Jesus. And it's, it's not our mission because it's really witty and it's catchy. It's our mission because it's the heart of God. It's our mission because it's scriptural. And we see it this week. To be an imitator of God and to strive to live like Jesus are really the same thing because Jesus came to show us who God is. Jesus' character, God's character was revealed in the life and, of Jesus and the way that he loved. He said, if you know me, you know the Father who sent me. So this striving to live like Jesus and being imitators of God are, are really synonymous. They're the, the same thing. And if we're called to be imitators of God, then, then, then we have to ask ourselves, well, how do we do that? How do we actually begin to, to sink into that directive of being an imitator of God or striving to live like Jesus? How do we do it? And the thing you need to realize is it really starts in your mind. It starts with a different way of thinking. So if we're going to live like Jesus, it means we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to think like Jesus. So to live like Jesus is to think like Jesus. So Paul tells us in Philippians that we are to think about what is good, what is noble, what is true, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is right. And what he's saying there is what you think about actually matters. What's going on inside of your head actually determines much of who you are and your behavior. So this, this idea of us having to, to think about it, and then Paul also tells us that we are to take every thought captive. What does that mean, to take every thought captive? Well, what it means is there is a, a battle going on for your mind, and you have to be intentional at fighting that battle, or you will automatically lose. You have to have some intentionality. So let me give you an example. You lay down at night, and you begin to have the imaginary conversation. Has this ever happened to anybody else? You know, the imaginary conversation where when he says this, I'm going to say that, and when they say this, I'm going to say that, and, when, and if they say this, I'm going to say that, and an hour goes, and you're still in bed, and you're still having the imaginary conversation, and if they act like this, I'm going to do this, and, if, and you just you walk through a thousand scenarios of the imaginary conversation. You mull it over. You just, you work it over. In that moment, you no longer have the mind of Christ. In that moment, the, you've lost the battle. Your mind is on something other than something noble, pure, lovely, right? right? So, so something's going on. And, and so there's this passage that says, look, you've got to figure out what to do with all of that busyness of the mind. So Jesus and Paul both talked about even worry. So really what that comes out of is a, is a sense of worry. I'm, I'm worried about the conversation. I want it to go a particular way. And we begin to, to fret and worry. And we begin to even 
go through the scenario. I don't know if you ever played the what if game. Does that keep you up at night sometimes? Like, what if this happens? Well, what, well, what if that happens? Well, what if, what if something happens? To, well, what if, right? One, what ifs can keep us up at night. And all of that is just this battle going on in our mind. And Paul says, take every thought captive. It means we've got to put away the imaginary conversation, shut them down. It means we have to replace the worryings and what ifs with, with true faith and trust in God. What I want you to know is that the only way to take a thought captive is to replace that thought with right thinking. The only way to take a thought captive is to replace wrong thoughts with right thoughts. So here's a, a few tips, if you will, or, or ways that I would encourage you to, to maybe go after this. One thing you can do is you can read scripture. Sometimes when you can't sleep, turn on your light and read some scripture. Read some Psalms. Just read, read in Isaiah. Find something to read and just allow that to change what's going on in your mind. You have to replace what's going on in your mind with something to do. So read some scripture. Or here's another good one. Try read, praying out loud. Just try praying verbally. Because when you start to speak something, it's, something goes on in our mind and it changes it. So just pray out loud. Or if you're really having trouble with somebody and you're having the imaginary conversation because they've offended you or they've hurt you or they've done something to you, then you should pray for them. But here's something, you should pray that God would bless them because that's what the scriptures tell us to do. It says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies, right? And the reason God tells us to do that is because when we do that, we let go of something. We let go of that angst in our spirit. So, so maybe you just need to stop and you need to just pray a blessing over that person who, is, who has done something and left you feeling sort of uneasy. Or, or here's another tip that I would give you. Sometimes what you need to do is you need to just have a phrase. A phrase like, you are my rock and my salvation, and you will I trust. You are my rock and my salvation, and you will I trust. You are my rock and my salvation, and you will I trust. Put yourself to sleep, repeating a phrase over and over. It's way better than counting sheep. Way, much more comes out of it. So, so there's all kinds of ways, but we have to be intentional. That's what I want you to hear is we have to be intentional because what goes on in your mind, what you're thinking about, what's happening in your head really does matter. And we need to learn to think like Jesus. Our minds need to be set on things above. So if we're going to be imitators of God, if we're going to strive to live like Jesus, we've got to think like Jesus, but we also have to love like Jesus. The question is, well, how did Jesus love? Well, he loved sacrificially. He loved selflessly. He loved powerfully. He, he loved passionately. But the thing that you, you see when you look at the life of Jesus is he loved people that other people rejected. He actually loved people that were marginalized. He loved people, listen to this, that didn't love him. He loved people that persecuted him. He actually loved the very people that put him on the cross. That's a pretty high standard for us when we're supposed to love like Jesus. I mean, I, I have a hard time loving people that love me, let alone loving people that don't love me is a pretty tall task. So if you look at the second part of verse 2, it says, and live, or remember last week I talked about that word live means is also the word walk. So you could say, walk a life of love. Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Jesus gave up his personal comfort so that we could have comfort, right? Jesus gave up what he had so that we could have everything. There's this picture of, of sacrifice. And when, when Paul uses that word fragrant offering, what he's doing is he's pointing back to all of the Old Testament and he's making sure that we know Jesus came and he really was the Lamb of God who was slain to fulfill all of the Old Testament law and be the one who saves us. He came and sacrificed himself so that we could have salvation. So if we're to imitate God, we have to love sacrificially. 
We have to look to the interests of others above our own. Just think about that one phrase. Put the interests of others above your own. How much would that change things in your home? Now, some of you are thinking right now, if only my husband, if only my husband would put my interests before his, things would be a lot better. Well, if you're thinking that, then you sort of missed the point. Because this is a time for personal observation. This is a time for a little personal application. We are to put our own interests aside for the interests of others. So if we want to be imitators of God, we got to think like Jesus, we got to love like Jesus, and we got to serve like Jesus. Jesus actually said, I came to serve. And he modeled it. He modeled this, I mean, when you think about it, this unprecedented humility and service. And the King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who spoke all of creation into existence, right, who's, who's seated at the right hand of God, gives up all of that and becomes a servant, not just a servant, but a servant to go to death. The, the, the length of which he traveled to humble himself, no one else could ever travel that much distance. And he says, that's what I want from you. I want you to serve like that. I want you to wrap a towel around your waist, and I want you to wash people's feet. Meg has reminded me of that passage since becoming the pastor here, that we need to wash people's feet. And we've actually had conversations, well, what does that look like? I'm guessing you guys aren't really asking me to be in the lobby and wash your feet, but yet there's this picture of being a servant, that God is calling us to serve one another. One of the things I love about grace is I think we do this really well. We're teaching over 100 kids how to read above grade level, which will change the trajectory of their lives. The stuff we did with sports yesterday and being out on the field was just a reminder that we're offering something to the kids in the city of Detroit that they wouldn't have otherwise. It's Christ-centered athletics with almost 2,000 kids playing. It's an amazing thing. Going down to my father's business and and seeing them having their their party and eating hot dogs and just sitting together and having conversations. We we get this. We have this, this... health care center in the parking lot for people who are uninsured and underinsured. We have a Christian counseling center. If you need Christian counseling and you can't afford it, come see me. We can get you in there. It's a, there's all of this stuff going on. We are a church that serves, and I love that. I love that that's part of our identity. So if we're going to be imitators of God, then we have to live into our mission statement of striving to live like Jesus. And then we get to verse 3. Hopefully you still have Ephesians open. If you're new at Grace, just know I'm going to keep coming back to Ephesians, so keep it open. Verse 3, if you get to that, it kind of feels like Paul is taking a, a left turn. I guess that would be a right turn. So when you're dyslexic, it doesn't matter. Paul is taking a left turn. So, but, but he's not, because this is really the ebb and flow of the whole letter, because Paul says, be imitators of God, and then he describes what being an imitator of God, or in this case, he describes the contrast to being an imitator of God, or he says, put on your, your new self, and then he describes what a new self would look like. Or he, so all the way through the, these last two chapters, chapters four and five, we see Paul describing who we should be, and then with a, with a phrase, and then what that looks like in our life. So he's doing the same thing here. He's setting up a, a, a kind of a striking contrast to what it looks like not to imitate God, right? So look at verse 3. Paul is identifying these common trappings that keep us from imitating God. So he says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So what I'm going to pull out of this passage is there's three common trappings that we all need to pay attention to and we all need to be careful of. And the first one is sexual immorality. The interesting thing is sexual immorality in the original language is just one word, and it's a very broad word. The word covers basically anything and everything that you can think of, and I think that's done by design. It would include lust, it would include sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, prostitution. In our day and age, it would include pornography, it would include sexting. I can't believe that's a real word. Uh, It would include sending inappropriate photos to one another. 
all of that would fit into this, this immorality. It's a broad word because what Paul knows is even in his day, just like in our day, this, this immorality was very pervasive. It was all over the place. It's not limited to a particular sexual sin. Paul says, regardless of what it is, there is not to be a hint, not a hint of sexual immorality. And in a society like ours that's really obsessed with sex, not having a hint of immorality, is, is, it's a pretty difficult thing. It's hard for us to, to even wander into this passage and do it obediently when we live in the society we live in. I say this a lot, but it feels like um, whenever I preach something, God really put, kind of puts it in my face. Like, okay, you're going to preach on it, or you're going to live it, or you're going to just preach it. So if I preach on anger, then God always reminds me that I'm angry, which is really annoying. So I should only preach happy things, and then it would never happen. <laughs> So if you've read ahead, next week I get to preach on love your wives the way Jesus loves the church. So it should be a fun week at my house. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this week, uh, I've just been so aware of how difficult this is. I mean, everything I turned on, everything I looked at, if I turned on my email, something bombarded me. If I turned on the TV, and I hardly ever watched TV, but a little bit I watched, it was, it was just, this, this sex is everywhere. It bombards us. It is just so in your face. And I've just, like, I've felt the battle all week. And I think God put me in that place so that I could sort of empathize and, and be honest with you. Look, I get how hard this is. This is our culture. It is everywhere. And the culture is saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I want to tell you, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's, it, it's doing destruction in our inner being. It's messing with our hearts. What we see on TV, look, you can't, you can't even go on Facebook. I'm surprised I go on Facebook and the things that jump out at me. And I'm not saying just, you know, go live in a, in a cave. What I am saying is pay attention. Pay attention because that stuff is cancer. It'll get into you and it'll, it'll do things that you, you can't handle. And I want to be really clear. It, the reason Paul says not a hint is because you cannot play with this stuff. You cannot mess around in this arena and not get caught in the trap. You can't dabble in immorality and things will be okay. You can't say things like, well, I'm really not doing anything. I'm just looking at pictures. Or here's my favorite. I'm, I'm just enjoying God's creation. <laughs> yeah. You can't read Fifty Shades of Grey or some other cruddy novel without it having some effect on your soul, on your inner being. You have to pay attention to this stuff because it is wreaking havoc in our lives. So Paul says, not a hint. Be diligent. Guard your hearts. Be careful what's going on. And just so you know, this is not a passage about same-sex attraction. The scriptures are clear. The scriptures are clear what that's about, but here's what happens in our society. We decide to, to, to see somebody else's sin as more heinous than ours, and so we let ourselves off the hook. And can I tell you, there's enough for every person in the room to deal with in the passage when it says, not a hint of sexual immorality. So don't let yourself off the hook by thinking of something else. Ask yourself, God, where, where do I need to clean things up? Where am I going places that I shouldn't be going? If we're going to strive to live like Jesus, if we're going to imitate God, there has to be not a hint of sexual immorality among us, not even in the church. And imagine how much clearer our voice would be 
to the rest of the world when we talk about social issues facing America and facing people if this was the way the church really was. We wouldn't look like monumental hypocrites when we talk about that one sin that's so heinous out there. Paul says, not a hint, none, nada. So let's keep reading. So the first trapping that, that is common in, in the church, common in, in society, even back in Paul's day, was common, sexual immorality. The second, look at verse 3, says, but among you there must not be a hint of greed. So the second trapping is greed. So Paul was trained as a, as a Jewish Pharisee. And so the, the, the teaching of the law, the teaching through the Pharisees was that, that all, the, the number one sin out there was idolatry. As a matter of fact, when you read this, he even talked about anyone who engages in these things is an idolater. That's, that's him leaning back into his, his roots as a teacher of the law, right? So, so the number one sin is idolatry, but all sin, including idolatry, is rooted in greed. This is like a fundamental truth of the Jewish law that, 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 that Paul was taught to teach. So he's hanging on to some of those teachings. All sin is rooted in greed. And if it, it if you stop, you, got, you have to stop and you have to think about this one just a little bit. It requires just a little bit of thought. The truth is, if you were to go around the room, if I were to go around and ask people, uh, do you struggle with greed? Most people would respond, no. At first glance, most of us would be like, no, I don't think I struggle with greed. Greed's not, not something. But, but what I want to tell you is greed is much more pervasive than we think it is. So let me, this is right out of the dictionary. This is the definition of greed. Intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Now, when I read that, I thought very seriously about taking the food out because it really annoys me. I'm like, well, that's not very nice. I was doing good till I got to that line. Anyway, that's, I didn't make that up. That's right out of the dictionary. And the, the Bible uh, dictionary that I use in my office as I'm studying defines it this way. A desire for more things, lusting for greater numbers of temporal things. So the idea of greed is just not being satisfied with what you have. Wanting what you want when you want it. Focusing on an accumulation of wealth or, 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 or not being willing to sacrificially give, not, not tithing or giving back to the church or giving back to God, or, or overeating. These are all indicators that, that greed may be more prevalent than you might for first thought. And it's worth noting this, all sexual immorality is rooted in greed. You want what you want when you want it, so you just take it, right? Especially anytime you think about how it destroys marriages, how it destroys homes. So anytime there's, there's affairs or there's pornography in it, and it disrupts, that, that's all rooted in selfishness and in greed. I want what I want because I want it because I feel like I want it. So Paul writes in verse 3, We don't do these things because these are improper for God's holy people. Remember what he's describing He's describing what it means to be a child of God. He's describing what it means to be royalty. He's describing the royal way. This is what it means to be a, a follower of God. This is what it means to be one of God's chosen people, to be a son or a daughter of the Most High. This is how good. And what he's saying is, if you live this way, it's not proper. Or some of your translations might even say it's not fitting. It's that picture of, of being trained in a way of, of behaving that's fitting or proper and, and, and helps us to understand that, that there is a way that we ought to live that will help people to know that God really is God and that he's calling us to live a different way, a royal way. So the common trapping, sexual immorality and greed in the third, look at verse 4, says there should not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. So I would define those as careless words. Sexual immorality, greed, and careless words. 
And you ask yourselves, why would Paul include that? It feels like it's a little bit different than the other two, but, but the truth is he includes it because what we talk about freely, what we, what we allow ourselves to joke about is what becomes normal and what becomes acceptable. So racially motivated jokes, which aren't jokes at all, but, but they're, they're used to, to make light of something that's really quite heinous, right? So, so we, can, we can look at jokes and we can see how they're used to kind of desensitize us to something that's usually wrong. So, so if you're engaging in jokes that are off color and, and maybe you're not even one telling it, but you're in the group and you're laughing about it, all of that can be part of just desensitizing you to not a hint, a sexual normality, this, this idea of, of our conversation, our words actually make a difference because they shape what's acceptable and not acceptable. Now, I want to make sure that you get this. Uh, this is not saying that humor is bad. Um, we need to laugh. We need to laugh within the context of the church. God gave us a sense of humor for a reason. But, but anytime the, the humor is off color, anytime it's at someone else's expense, it is inappropriate. I meet with a group of guys for breakfast every Friday, almost every Friday, and for a short period of time, we had a waitress, and she insisted on telling us a dirty joke. She would come to the table, and she'd tell us a dirty joke, and I finally had to just be like, um, no more jokes, okay? So she doesn't tell us jokes anymore. Later, she found out what I do for a living. I think she might have been a little bit... Um, Embarrassed, maybe, might be the right word, but that's beside the point. But the whole point is we couldn't just sit there and be like, ah, yeah, okay, it just... It, it didn't work, right? We, we want to stay away from that kind of talk. So, so it's, just, it's just important that you don't engage, right? And it's so easy to just get sucked in and to, to just accept it. So Paul's writing, imitate God. Not a hint of sexual immorality, no greed, no careless speech. Because you're called to live a way that is fitting as a child of God. So look at verse 5, because I think we got to unpack this one just a little bit. It says, for this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person such as such a man as an idolater, going back to his, his roots, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so here's what's so important. If you're not careful, you can read this and say, well, if I do this, I'm going to hell. If this happens to me, then I have no inheritance. But you see, Paul's already written in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you're saved through faith, not by works, lest no man can boast. So if doing these things would save us, then it would be by works we're saved. But remember, the thread throughout Ephesians is live into who I made you to be. I have called you to be a child of God. Now live like it. And so he is contrasting not being a child of God to being a child of God. And we also talked a few weeks ago that this is a journey. We learn more and more how to live into our identity as children of God. So I just don't want you to misread that and, and walk away and think, because the truth is, at some level, we miss all of these. And that's just not what the, the whole of Scripture teaches us, that it's through faith we're saved, and that God sees us as righteous, even when we still do things that are not righteous. So look at verse 8. Verse 8 is, is helping to unpack how we live into this royal way. Verse 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. This is a pretty powerful declaration. You were once dark, but now you are light. Not you can be light, not you should be light. He's saying you are light. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you became light. Second Corinthians tells us that as we, as we get to know God and as we move in life and as we become more and more like Jesus, we reflect God's glory or the light of God more and more and more. 
There is this picture of being light, of, of, of actually letting the world know who God is and what God has done. As we strive to live like Jesus, we are imitators of God. We reflect the light of God. I love verse 10. Look at verse 10. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole passage. It says, and find out what pleases the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, test it. Test it. Actually ask the question, Lord, does this please you? Can I tell you, there is so much life and joy in that one question. Lord, does this please you? Lord, does the way I'm speaking please you? Lord, does the, does the company I keep and the friends that I have and the way that I engage my friends, does it please you? Does the way I talk to my wife please you? Does the way I talk to my kids please you? Does the way I interact with my friends please you? If you just ask that question regularly, if you just had that question front and center in your mind, in my life, when I do this, Lord, does it please you? And if you would continue to do the things that please him, and if you would stop doing the things when he says no, Right? If you're going to ask the question, sometimes you say, no, that's not what I'm looking for. And change your behavior. Just think of how much you go. And this isn't out of just, just doing it. Here's what I want you to know. We do not do this to earn God's love. God loves you beyond your wildest imagination. Nothing changes about God's love. God loves you. But it's because God loves us that we want to live into that and we want to, to show God back this amazing love that he's poured out on us that we try to do what pleases him. Not to earn something from God, but because God first loved us. He's saying stand apart. Don't, don't give in to the standards of the world. Be different. Do things differently. Find out what pleases me and do it. That's where you're going to find life. Find out what pleases the Lord and do it. The question is how? How do we do all this? I, you unpack all this and you just think, man, this is so hard to do. How do we actually do it? How do we figure out what pleases the Lord and and Paul answers the question in verse 13. He says, expose it to the light. Verse 13 says, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. You want to know what pleases the Lord? Bring it into the light. Actually, bring it into the open. No more secrets, no more hiding, no more curtains. If we're going to be a church without curtains, and we bring everything to light. Actually expose it to God. So, so everything, you bring it to God and you ask him, or even better or more, not better, but, but even more, expose it to your friends, your inner circle, those people that are walking with Jesus. That's part of your, your inner core. We talk about making sure you have a smaller group, connecting with other believers. Take it to them and ask them, you know, I, I have this thing that's going on in my life. Do you think it, please, Lord, bring it into the light, and it will tell you. And here's the deal. If you're sitting there and you already know what you're not going to bring into the light, it doesn't please the Lord. That's why you want to keep it in the dark. That's why it's there, because you know if I bring it out, I'm going to have to deal with it. I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to do something different. So, so bring your, your life into the light. Bring God into all of it, and let God shine beauty into it. And here's what I want you to know. This is, this is like the only way to have life. This is the only way to have joy. Anything that you want to hold on to and hide in secret is going to weigh you down, and it's going to cause great misery in your inner person. The beauty is that light does the work. Light exposes our sin. God exposes something and he says, would you just return from it? Just, just repent. Repent just means turn in a different direction. So God brings something to light and you say, no more. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live differently. I want to live apart from the way society lives and I want to stand out and, and represent Jesus. 
So he then he writes, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing a song, but I want to unpack this one passage just a little bit. It says, Wake up, O sleeper. So what he's doing is he's, he's leaning back probably into a psalm from, from his day. It was some kind of common, because he says there's a common phrase here. Everybody knows this phrase, and then he writes it. Uh, not common for us, but common in that day. So it probably came out of a song. But what he's saying is, Stop hanging around and doing the things that suck the life out of you. Wake up, because God has something better for you. Wake up. I I have this amazing life. I want to give you abundant life. And those things you're holding on to that you shouldn't be holding on to, they're keeping you from having abundant life. And so there's this, this call in this passage that says, wake up and rise from the dead because Christ wants to shine on you. Paul's leaning back into Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 19 says, but you were dead, but you'll live in the Lord. Your bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up. And shout for joy. This is a passage about having all the joy of the Lord. Isaiah 60, 1 and 2 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rise upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and a thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears to you. Ephesians is often called the letter for today. The epistle for today. Because it's so applicable. Because we are ensnared, because we are, are caught up, and there's this beautiful picture of Paul saying, wake up, wake up. I, I want to shine my light on you. I want to give you more joy than you've ever had in your life. I want you to wake up. So we're going to sing, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen, and I want you to pray. And I want you to leave what needs to be left here in this room, and I want you to receive what you need to take with you. So as I've talked, there's been things that have stirred in you that you know I need to leave that here. I need to let go of it. So you just pray that. Just say, Lord, take it. I don't want it anymore. And then receive what God has for you. Let's wake up and experience the Lord's joy as Trisha sings for us.
careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to the God, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine according to the power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we just thank you so much for the power of your word, the truth of your word. Thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you that trumps everything. Thank you for the joy that you promise, for the life that you promise. May the joy of the Lord exude from this place. May we reflect the glory of God and the light of God in all the places we interact, at work, at home, at school. What a privilege it is to represent the living God. Lord, may we live worthy of that high calling. Lord, I pray a blessing over this holiday weekend. Just help us to love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Remember, if you need prayer, we have people down here that would love to pray with you. Have a great weekend.